Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, the place to be for creating healthy, lasting relationships in midlife. Today, I'm going to be speaking with author Jim Creighton about, or Crichton, sorry, about loving through our differences. And this is such a, an important topic. I am so excited to speak with him. He wrote a book called Loving Through Your Differences, Building Strong Relationships from Separate Realities. And um, so before I bring Jim on, I wanted to make a big announcement that the womanofvalue.com has launched. My new website is live as of this, this weekend. Um, so I invite you all to go there and check it out. This is a site for women who want to play bigger, who want to speak up more powerfully and stand up for what matters most to them and to do work that lights them up and makes them happy, and in short, to become a woman of value. And every week I do bring you a tip on how to become a woman of value, and this week's tip is dare to think big. And I have to say that if I wasn't a person who could think big, I would never have launched this new site and this new vertical for my work. I... um, played small most of my life and so if we don't think big we don't achieve big goals and so I encourage each and every one of you to think about one area in your life where thinking bigger and doing something bigger would make a huge difference in the quality of your life and before I bring James on I wanted to invite anybody who's not yet a member of my Facebook group Your Last First Date to please join us there We have close to 3,000 women who are all single or in relationships. They're over 40, and this is a very positive-focused group that is heavily monitored so that kindness is key. There are very strict guidelines adhered to so that this, this group is a safe space where you can learn and grow and achieve great things in your love life. And now... I am going to bring on our special guest today. His name is James Crichton. He is a Ph.D. and the author of Loving Through Our Differences and many other books. He has worked with couples, and he has conducted communications training for nearly 50 years all around the world. And uh, so this is episode number 346, Building Strong Relationships in Spite of Our Differences. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hi, Sandy. Good to be on. Thank you. Do you want to be called Jim or James? Which do you prefer? I I usually go by Jim. Okay. I will call you Jim. So let's talk about your book. Um, I'm loving your book, and I would love for you to talk about the subtitle, Building Strong Relationships from Separate Realities. What do you mean by that? Well, what I discovered, and everything in the book, kind of came out of my own experience of, and you know so lots of couples fight a, and some couples fight a little bit and some couples fight a lot and my wife and I were in the fight a lot category and uh, <laughs> I, I discovered that 
many of the fights had to do with I perceived the situation differently than she did. And as a result, I felt differently than she did. You, you can kind of have a simple example. Like we, we go to a movie, and uh, I think it's uh, a lot of fun. And she, she's bored to tears. She doesn't like car chases. And uh, when we when we get out, uh, I announce that uh, that was a great movie. And she announces, well, great. Heck, I mean, if you thought that was a good movie, you're pretty darn adolescent. And off we go. Mm -hmm. Uh, the truth is that I was having fun and the truth is she was bored Uh, we both bring our own set of experiences and meanings and philosophy of life and everything else to to any experience that we have and so we can go through exactly the same experience and have an entirely different feeling and I find an awful lot of conflicts stall out at that point because we get into a fight about you should have my reality. And naturally Mm -hmm. the other person doesn't want to give up their reality. And so we just fight on and fight on and fight on. And the fight is really about, you know, I've got to persuade you to have my reality or somehow it's very threatening to me and so on. So that's what I mean. And, uh, well, it was. You can see it with a silly little thing like who likes the movie and so on. Uh, the same thing happens when it comes to uh, spending money and uh, goals in life and sexuality and what courtesies are owed to each other in a relationship and on and on and on and on. And an awful lot of those issues, the, the real problem is both people are busy and insisting the other person has to have the same reality they do. Yeah, this is this is a huge, huge issue for people. And, and we all tend to see the world through our lens and just think the other person is crazy, wrong, needs to be convinced otherwise, right? And it doesn't seem to happen very much. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, so why do we get locked in? like that why why do we lock into our reality so tightly well because we experience it as reality uh, and we're all kind of trained to to think that feelings are caused by things outside of us and so uh, you know you make me feel like dancing or whatever it is and so on it's something external that's the cause of the feeling and what's becoming very very clear uh, uh, even to uh, uh, neurologists and people like that who study uh, consciousness is that feelings are at best a combination of external reality and the interpretation that we give to them. Uh, I was running just last last week when Colin Kaepernick uh, arrived at a deal with uh, with the National Football League. Here's something where he he kneeled, and across the country the interpretations varied from. He was a civil rights leader to even a traitor. And all Mm -hmm. he did was kneel. And people brought their own interpretations to that thing and were seemingly ready to fight to the death. Um, So it's, that's kind of what's happening all the time. We each each interpret, we each interpret. And we experience it as real. Uh, Mm -hmm. If we feel hurt when somebody does something, 
the hurt, hurt itself seems to justify the feeling that they hurt me and I experienced that that person hurt me and so I'm going to hang on and hang on and hang on to that interpretation. Yeah, so we hang on to the interpretation, but how do we then change change our perception or, or open to somebody else's perception? Well, of course, the, that whole, the whole book is about that. But uh, <laughs> specifically, uh, one of the key things is if we go back to the theater, uh, when I come out, if I say I am, I, I enjoyed it, I had fun, and she says she was bored to tears, we're both telling the truth. We, we did, did mm-hmm. in fact, have those experiences. Now, if I get onto that's a good movie, that's a bad movie, and so on, we can, we could make a, with a little skill, we could turn that into a fight. Uh, there's an entire, it's a big difference between your feelings, which are, in fact, yours, because you interpreted your way into them, uh, versus your judgments. And a good deal of the book is about getting people to get back down to feelings, because I can be bored, or she can be bored, and I can have fun at the same time, and those are can be both true. We don't have to make them mm-hmm. the same. But it's a good movie, uh, then we can fight to the death on that and so on. But we're really fighting about a judgment, not, not the experience. The experience, mm-hmm. the feeling, is the real truth. Right. And everybody's entitled to their feelings. So, but so the the example you gave is an external thing. It's how two people experience something outside of themselves. But what if a person interprets something you did to them as, or you something you said as um, a completely different thing? Okay. Well, it. If they're sharing feelings instead of judgments, it's true they had that feeling. If they're sharing mm-hmm. judgments, it's not true and it's it's difficult. So one of the first first challenges is both people have to acknowledge <clears throat> that they can have different emotional realities and those two realities can coexist. Now, now let me give you an example. Uh, George and Mary are trying to buy a car, and George was Mary. George was raised in a uh, uh, an immigrant family for whom it's very important to demonstrate to the people around them that they have arrived, that they've made it, that they've survived that experience. Uh, Mary, on the other hand, was raised in a kind of working class family where it's uh, you never you're never supposed to get above yourself. And she's pushed the limits already by going to college, uh, which wasn't really in the program either. But they are, in fact, getting along well financially. And he wants to get a Mercedes because this will show the world that he's arrived. She's horrified at the prospect of having a Mercedes. She'd she'd feel uncomfortable any time she got in it because that's putting herself above other people and so forth. Uh, And those two meanings... Uh, are driving the discussion about cars. So, you know, the real problem is not the car. The real problem is two versions of how you live your life. 
and they've got to do some work on that. They're going to have to do some sharing. They're going to have to, first of all, understand why they're re- why they're reacting the way they are. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I was trying to get at in this book: is how many conflicts are in fact rooted in these different perceptions, uh, so that the you you really experience discomfort at setting yourself above other people, and he really feels uh, it's important to show other people that they've they've at last made it, and so on. Both both emotional realities are true. Mm-hmm. So how so they begin to really get to the feelings behind it. Well, they're both honoring values, um, right? They're they're honoring needs. They're honoring values that are important to them. And so, but they both have a strong stand for that. So how do they work that through, even if they know what the root cause of their emotions are? Well, well, frankly, it's going to be a tough one uh, because those Mm -hmm. are rooted in uh, family traditions and family myths and so forth that are rarely conscious but are very strong and very controlling and so on. Um, The starting point is is to accept it's a fact that people can experience the same event in different ways. Uh, that the other, other person's makes, feelings make perfect sense within their emotional reality, and this is okay. And most everything follows from there. Now, in in the book, what we've I've talked about some skills for sending feelings, for listening to feelings, and for problem solving uh, towards the uh, when once the feelings are out and so forth. Um, how you send the feeling matters, whether you send it as I felt hurt or I'm worried or whatever, instead of you're a this, you're a that, the situation is bad, the situation is this. Those are all judgments, and uh, little can be done with conflicting judgments. You need to get down to the emotional reality and share it. And you need to do a lot of listening, particularly in this example, uh, which seems kind of silly buying a car, but it's got a big emotional load behind it. Uh, and, mm-hmm. in fact, has broader implications. Uh, she may find that uh, she doesn't really want to live her entire life by the working class rules in her family. Uh, he may decide that striving all the time to demonstrate to the world that he's succeeded is, in fact, not the best and enjoyable way to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that this funny little example can in fact grow into a reexamination of many of the premises of their lives. Mhm. Yeah, that's useful. Although it's hard for people to even see that that they have adapted these beliefs because they're so ingrained. Right. Yeah, it's going to take some honest sharing, and for some people, it may they may need a third party, like a therapist or someone who. A therapist, a coach, somebody who can help them uh, think through what it's all about. Uh, yeah, people have trouble seeing behind, beyond the surface. Um, you know, they just feel unheard or disrespected or devalued, and that shuts down the conversation, I imagine. Yeah, and uh, it may require that they do some reframing. 
of their the meanings that they bring to the event. Uh, I, I saw one the other day with a guy in a class who, who liked to go off and uh, go hunting with his buddies and so forth. And when every time he came home, his wife would start with all kinds of questions. And, did you do this and did you do that and who did you see and on and on and on. And he would interpret that as she was being jealous and controlling and he'd start to get resentful and reactive. And it had gotten to the point he, he almost didn't want to even bother to go anymore except then he felt controlled and he got mad about that. So mm-hmm. um, he discovered, though, that if he interpreted her behavior as she was feeling insecure and wanted to know know that he loved her, so forth, which is at least as good an explanation of her behavior as that she was jealous and controlling and so on. Um, when he went home and she started to ask all the questions, if he was loving and reassuring, things changed quickly and you know it, it resulted in an entirely different outcome than if mm. he got resentful and reactive and so on. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I think Einstein had a quote about seeing the world as a hostile or a friendly place, um, that we have a choice, you know, and and I think a lot of people just look for what's wrong and how somebody is attacking and what are they doing to me. And I mean, I I had a conversation with my daughter today who was very upset about something and she immediately went into attack mode. And I just said, how about you call me back when you're calmer? Because <laughs> I couldn't have the conversation with her. Um, you know, she was using words like, uh, don't pretend to. And I was just like, wow. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, she was triggered. She wanted to make it my problem. And I know that she was not in a position, she was about to get on a plane. It was just not the time to have the conversation. So so what do you say to that, like, you know, buying some time when somebody comes to you in a heated situation, what would you do in a case like that? Well, if if you have the emotional room inside to listen, it's fine. And then quite a bit of the book talks about some listening skills that will, will help you with that. Um, Sometimes, though, you simply don't have the space inside to, to do it. And what, what you did, which is defer until another time, is a perfectly legitimate thing to do. Uh, one of the things mm-hmm. that my wife and I discovered, a therapist friend recommended, uh, is, is a, a, a rule that we have agreed upon called the five-minute rule. And mm-hmm. in the five-minute rule, either one of us can say, five-minute rule, and you stop dead whatever you're doing, decide who goes first, and that person gets five minutes to say whatever he or she wants, any way he or she wants, uh, without any interruption, preferably without even even loud body language coming back at them. Mm. Then they rotate. The other person gets five minutes. And uh, if they need at the end of that five minutes to do another round of five minutes each they can. Now, what, why it works is most of the time when we're in conversation, uh, every 20 seconds or so, somebody's telling us we're wrong, that we're bad, stupid, or crazy for feeling the way that we do. And that 
evokes reaction, more defensiveness than the other person, and the situation escalates. If you can get five minutes to say whatever you want and so on, uh, much of the heat and intensity goes out of the argument. I find it about four minutes I'm even boring myself. <laughs> uh, so, so I, uh, we, and, and it may not end any more dramatically than, well, I don't have anything more to say. But that's not a bad ending. From there, you can go to problem solving and whatever else you need and so forth. So that's a, a little one to keep in your back pocket. They have, mm. both, people have, both people have to agree to it, though. It's a, yeah. kind of a super rule that uh, both people have to agree that it's so important that they stop whatever they're doing and get get on with the five-minute rule. I suppose you mm-hmm. can have some limits, like maybe you don't do it in front of other people or something like that. But um, Yeah, that sounds like a good rule. Yeah. Um, I like that, though. I think just giving somebody the floor without interruption is is so different from how most people communicate. It's It's definitely something I've learned since I've become a better communicator and I actually became a communications expert over the years as well, helping women, especially in relationships, to um, to be able to communicate more effectively and um, and also to understand men, which I think, you know, we talk about different realities. I think we all look at the world through our lens and um, we have to understand that just because we process in a certain way doesn't mean somebody else does. And just getting curious about what things mean to somebody else can just go such a long way to creating more harmony, more understanding, less triggers, less overthinking, overanalyzing, living in your head. Um, You know, I see all of this in my practice, and I've learned to process for myself before I even have a conversation with somebody. Um, Like if somebody stops talking to me because they're upset with something I say, I can then reach out and be able to hear them without feeling like I need to be heard and I need to be defensive. Um, You know, I'm totally open to hearing their point of view so that we can have a discussion about it. The the other thing that I found is that if I'm communicating my feelings is distinct from my judgments to the uh, to another mm-hmm. person, I get smarter about my own feelings. I, I learn something yeah. about what what I'm really feeling, why I'm really feeling it. So. Mm-hmm. Got got a cough this morning. Oh uh, no, you okay? Yeah, I'm I'm okay, but I may sound a little scratchy. Oh, you sound okay. So you get smarter about your feelings. Tell me, tell me what you mean by that. Well, <clears throat> like most everybody, I, I predominantly would start out with blame and blame and accusation, and mm-hmm. you don't learn anything that way except you think the other person's a bad, a bad person. If I start out sharing feelings, I'm hurt, angry, sad, frustrated, and so forth. I have to go inside and check what's really going on. And what I do when I do that, I'm often surprised and learn things about myself and why I feel the way things, uh, the, the way that I do, 
and the result is that uh, I, I, I have more self-awareness. I'm more conscious of why I feel what I feel and so on than I was. Uh, blaming and accusing is a really nice way of not having to be in touch with their beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when people take judgment out, everything switches to more compassion, more self-compassion, too, and more self-understanding. Um, so you, you mentioned a few feelings, and I think, you know, I did, did some of the work of Marshall Rosenberg with nonviolent communication, and they have such a long list of feelings and needs that I think some people get really overwhelmed with how many words we have for emotions so what do you recommend in terms of people having emotional literacy and being able to talk about their feelings? Do you narrow it down to just a few? Like, how, how do you guide people in that way? I really have not concentrated on that too much. I, I know the principle is kind of, it's it's like the Eskimos have many, many, many more words for snow than we do because they distinguish mm-hmm. the very subtle uh, subtle differences because it's survival to do so. Um, and my experience is that as people start sharing feelings, their vocabulary grows automatically. The words are there, they just never quite use them. And so it connects by them. I, I've not done the, the, well, I frequently had classes say, we, we, we're, we need more words, and they'll frequently develop uh, feeling lists. Uh, you know, put chart sheets on the wall with lists of feelings they came up with. Um, mm-hmm. I have not handed out lists of feelings. I, it, I just haven't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I personally think it, we can get really overwhelmed with it's. It's interesting that at the end of my marriage, my husband finally decided to get some support around how to work through his feelings and talk about them because that was a huge issue in our marriage and he studied under Marshall Rosenberg and developed a labyrinth um, that so the outside circle of the labyrinth was all the judgments and the the you know uh, always never all the absolutes you know the past he you know he's done this in the past he's going to do it again Um, So you get through all the judgment first and you you work through it. So you kind of walk that circle going, okay, I'm asking, I'm I'm stuck in judgment. Let me work through that. Then you get to the next level of the objective request or issue that you're dealing with without any feelings or needs. And then you go into the feelings. So that's the next circle. So you kind of walk the circle of feelings and there's like a hundred discombobulated and, you know, just words that most people don't use. And then that feeling happened because a need wasn't met, so you go into the circle of needs. And the last part in the center is you can make a request of somebody else or yourself. And so I found this really interesting. Um, It helped me to start really working through my feelings and needs and just naming them and realizing how much in judgment I had been most of my life so that helped, but I find that the the plethora of words was just a little bit too much, and I think we can simplify and um, really get to the crux of the matter without having to have a hundred ways to say I'm angry, 
I'm sad, I'm disappointed, or whatever. It sounds like another way you could get keep it in your head a lot. Because mm. you'd have, have to do a lot of analysis and so on. It, mm-hmm. It's intriguing. When I, 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 now, I'm not experienced it, so I can't put it down. We, yeah, uh, I think, I mean, it definitely works for some people. Um, but it sounds like, you know, just to have the words to be able to stay in your heart and not your head, as you said, you know, you don't want to be in your head. You want to really be in your heart when you're having these conversations. Yeah, now one thing we have we do quite a bit of is teaching people to watch escalation, uh, which is kind of working for, instead of from a, uh, Rosenberg's outer circle. You start. Uh, my experience is that arguments start with blame and accusation, and then name calling, and then broadening the issue. Uh, you start out with a toothpaste cap, and you end up with you're always so messy and then you're irresponsible in life, period. So you've gone from a little tiny toothpaste cap to a wipeout of the other person completely. Uh, right. There are other behaviors that people use to escalate. They use other people as ammunition. Uh, to mm-hmm. uh, Not just me that feels this way. Your mother told me, blah, 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 blah. And, um, mm-hmm. well, of course, what happens then is just the other person you know, claims they talked to 20 neighbors who felt the same way and and the idea is one to um, see when you're escalating so you can catch yourself as you do it and hopefully back yourself on down Uh, but you can also set some some rules because one of the things that happened is he'll come into a relationship with his family rules she'll come into the relationship with her family rules and the only real escape is to set our rules uh, so that you together decide what are the limits on fights and what, how you're going to handle them and so on. So we have the five-minute rules, one of our rules. Uh, don't expand the issue is another one. Uh, we'll find a catch ourselves expanding the issue. And often she might say to me, you're expanding the issue, and I'll grudgingly say, oh, well, I guess that's true, and I'll try to back, back myself down to whatever the original issue was. And we also have a rule about don't, not using other people as ammunition. Uh, but mm. the idea is we start claiming limits that we both agree to uh, so that it's we're at least fighting by the our family rules instead of his or hers. Mm. That's really, really smart. I like it. Um, there's so much more to say on this, but unfortunately we're out of time and I really encourage people to read your book. Um, I always like to ask our guests before you tell us where people can get the book. Um, what's one last word of wisdom or piece of advice you can give our audience so that they can go on their last first date? Okay. Well, just know that resistance breeds resistance. Uh, anytime you start to resist what the other person's saying, they're going to escalate, and then you're going to escalate, and it goes on from there. So the key thing is if somebody's saying something you don't like, don't fight it. Kind of take take it in inside and just hold it there, and you'll find that people's feelings change 
much faster when they get acceptance than when they get resistance. Mm. Yep, it's true. People just want to be heard. <laughs> Defensiveness is is such is such a terrible thing. Um, I was just building this new website, and the people who built it for me were so accepting of my feedback. And I really, I said to them several times that I really appreciated that they, instead of getting defensive, they would say, wow, that's really good feedback. Thank you so much. Simple thing. Simple. You know, but it it means so much because you feel heard. You know, you're hiring these people to help you. It's nice when they accept what you have to say. All right. Well, so tell us how people can get in touch with you and and get a copy of of your book, books. Well, it's easiest to to order the book through one of the main channels like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or IndieBound, which is the Association of Independent Bookstores and so on. Uh, It's readily available. In fact, I was on one of the sites this morning and found they they even had a $5 discount on the book. So uh, go and and check. uh, To reach me or to get more information about the book, they can go to James L. Creighton's, C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N.com, and that has uh, a lot of information about the book. Or if they want to contact me right now, they, uh, I haven't got my whip, whip page all whipped into shape. They can contact me at jim at publicparticipation.com. Uh, that, that, that's readily available. All right. I'm going to put all this in the uh, show notes. And um, so I thought your name was Creighton, and I, I have it transliterated here as Crichton in the notes here. So it's uh, it's Creighton. Okay, I stand corrected. Um, well, thank you, Jim Creighton, for coming on the show today and for sharing this wisdom because if we can overcome our differences and really start understanding other people's realities, we will bridge incredible gaps and have so much healthier relationships out there. So thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening today. And if you love our show, please rate us and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, um, iTunes. We really appreciate ratings and reviews. That's how people find us and we reach more people. And I hope that all of you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.